Ladies and gentlemen, this is Behind the Wheels Podcast. I am your host, DJ Artistic. I am a DJ based in Los Angeles, California. I would like to introduce you all to my co-host, EB. EB, what's good with it? What's going on, everybody? I am EB, the musicologist. I am a writer and content creator who is in love and obsessed with everything that's as black as possible. And I'm based on the planet of Brooklyn. Brooklyn in the building? Okay, so we got LA and New York together, so... With that, we have a special uh, a special show for y'all today. We have a guest who's actually going to be representing that in New York as well. So before we get into all of that, um, just to uh, kind of catch up, before we go into our first segment, EB, so one thing we always talk about is the 70s was the best era of, you know, soul, R&B, black music, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I feel like out of, from 1 to 10, as far as rating you when it comes to, like, your 70s uh, knowledge, I'll give you a 9.5 only because you wow. weren't there. Yeah. That's, like, that's, that's, that's the highest possible rating for somebody <laughs> who wasn't, who wasn't there. Who wasn't right. there. Cause it's like, you weren't born until a whole decade after, but it's like, you can out talk people who were actually there, who might think that they had the advantage cause they were there, but you, you yeah. can tell them who produced every album that they loved and yeah. this and that. So all that to say, I was um, listening to a DJ on Twitch Saturday and he was playing a song that had a sample that was, uh, that two and three, uh, Snoop, Nate, and Warren had used on the song uh, called Find a Way. And I was like, okay, I didn't realize. I knew it had to be a sample from how their song sounded, but I never really heard the original. So when I heard this DJ blend, I was like, let me see who the original song is that two and three sampled. I saw that it was The Emotions. And I said, oh, The Emotions. And it was a song called yeah. Uh, Rejoice. Yeah. The track called Rejoice. And I'm like, to me, it's like the 70s was so strong that it's songs that I haven't heard until now like 40 and 50 years later and they still kill everything else like i said last night i'm djing with all these young folks i'm gonna just figure out a way to play it. and it's like i could tell the crowd didn't even know it but they're still vibing to it and to me it just shows that 70s music really is that strong that you can play songs that people never heard of and it still goes and like i'm mad at myself for, for never hearing it so i'm, I'm assuming you've heard it before because you eb yeah of course i know the song and the album it's the same album that best of my love and don't ask my neighbor come from and key to my heart um, and, but that's why you are one of my favorite DJs because you find ways to blend what is old with what people will know and yeah. keep them like you, you keep that discovery going. So they're going back and listening, but that song, that album, like soundtrack to my life, the emotions, huh. you know, we talked about why and Vaughn and the emotions on this show before, Yeah, we but did. Yeah. you know, they are my favorite group of all time like i will listen to the emotions uh, all day every day and i'm happy those girls had like harmonies and it was more than just those yeah. girls it was a family act like their father and their brother were in on it their cousin like they they kind of defined a lot of the 70s for me and i loved the fact uh, that they were like chicago but also yeah. they had that base in like memphis with stacks in the south so they kind of yeah. married those two man they did i can't like, believe you never heard that song I was mad at myself, and that's the thing about it. I feel like a lot of songs just kind of slip through the cracks, because, like, Best of My Love, everybody knows that one. You hear that one. Like, my yeah. dad actually showed me, like, band charts he wrote out for that song back in 79 when he was teaching that at, at Washington at South Central. So he he wrote that song out back then, and I always joke, joke around and say that I never sing Best of My Love and Got to Be Real in the same room at the same time. And you won't, because it's, it's the same yeah, song. <laughs> it's the, it's the same. same song, basically, and it's like... They both dope on their own. So it's like, so it, it is where I'm still discovering so much stuff from the 70s that it's like, I feel like I just wish that that 
the, the party crowds could appreciate it. I feel like it's a lot of folks who are younger who do enjoy that sound, but it's hard to really like expose it in, in, in terms of a party. So yeah. maybe it's just about mixes. Maybe it's just about those mixes and just online streaming because the fans of it will find it. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely, yeah. and I can see what you're saying. It's probably harder for the party crowd to find it because we don't have songs that are comparable now that people will party yeah. to. Like everything yeah. has changed. Like there's no party R&B. And that's like R&B with like a tinge of gospel. It's a, yeah, it's it's a, a whole, yeah, it's, it's a whole different feel and they're not doing that anymore. And that's probably why yeah. it's hard for people to like, like it's at least the party goers to relate to because it's new to them. It's foreign. They don't know it, but that's when, yeah. you know, incredible DJs like you come in and you like literally carrying music education on your back. Literally. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a job to have to accept at this point. So yes, yeah, so everybody who's listening, just check out that song. If you haven't heard it, it's called rejoice from the emotions, the whole album. I mean, I went back and yeah. heard the whole album and like EB said, like it's one of those classics. So definitely have to shout out the emotions once again. So uh, speaking of that, let's get into it. So the rewind segment is where we like to highlight artists, groups, producers from the past who may or may not be unsung, but we just feel deserve their flowers, uh, whether they're still here with us or not. So EB, for this episode, who would you like to highlight for your rewind? All right. So I'm going to introduce some of you to her and reintroduce others, but I'm choosing to focus on one of my favorite artists. Um, Gwen Guthrie and she's someone definite I feel she was so far ahead of her time and her name just isn't spoken enough for me now if that name sounds familiar to anyone listening it's because she had huge success in the 80s with songs like Padlock Peanut Butter and like (laughs) the women's anthem ain't nothing going on but the rent you know no romance without finance You know, like, <laughs> gotta have a J-O-B. Hey, listen, you know? she she yeah. wrote the hell out of that song, but she's yeah. like a legend in her own right. Um, She's also saying backup for almost everybody. Like, I'm talking Aretha Franklin, Billy Joel, Stevie Wonder, Luther Vandross, Peter Tosh, Steely Dan, Madonna. Like, she's done it all in her career, but she was born in Newark, New Jersey, and she studied classical music and piano. She just ended up becoming a teacher because, you know, back in that day, you had to get something that you could fall back on. You had to get a job that was dependable. But while she was teaching, she joined a couple groups in the area. And one of them actually put her in a group with Larry Blackman before he started Cameo. So they were in the Mm. same group. And her big break came, you know, somebody else's misfortune is always your fortune. Um, It was a backup singer that was supposed to sing backup on Aretha Franklin's I'm in Love. They got sick and... Gwen Guthrie came in and took that place. And she was singing besides Sissy Houston, you know, mother of Whitney. Um, But that's where she really got her break singing back up for for Aretha. And then she started writing jingles um, with Valerie Simpson of Ashford and Simpson. She wrote jingles for Chevrolet and Avon and Kentucky Fried Chicken, of all things. So they were singing about (laughs) uh, food long before Mary was talking about that crispy chicken, fresh lettuce. (laughs) Um, yes. <laughs> her and her boyfriend, legendary Burger King, legend. legendary, <laughs> legendary. <laughs> now, nah, but Gwen and her boyfriend wrote uh, Benny King's Supernatural Thing and Angela Bowfield's This Time I'll Be Sweeter. In addition to some songs for um, Sister Sledge, in 79, she moved to Jamaica, and that's when she really became, I feel, Gwen Guthrie, like the queen of like the uh, dance okay. hall. Like she yeah, hooked up with yeah. Sly and Robbie, and y'all know Sly and Robbie. She hooked up with Sly and Robbie, and they released a song called It Should Have Been You in 1982. That's like a dance classic. Um, 
Sly and Robbie produced that debut album and her sophomore album. The sophomore album had Padlock, Seventh Heaven, and Hopscotch. All of them hits on the R&B charts. Then she hooked up with them again in 86 for Ain't Nothing Going On But The Rent, a song she wrote and produced herself. Like, oh, wow. Her produced? Talent, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. She produced it with them. Like, her talent was amazing. They always said all you had to do was give her the melody, and she would sit huh. and draw, like, sketch roses and flowers. And when she was done, the lyrics would just be in her head. It reminds me of how they used to talk about um, Biggie in the studio, how he yeah. would just sit quiet in the corner and when it was his time, he already just had the lyrics. So that was her thing. Um, but she, like like I said, she became queen of like the dance hall. She was a huge ally to the LGBT community. If anybody knows oh. anything about DJ Larry Levine and the Paradise Garage, they actually called her the queen of the Paradise Garage because all of her okay. songs were hits. And she even spoke about AIDS in the 80s whenever it was wow. taboo. Like in 88, she had a song called I Can't Love You Tonight which talked about AIDS and she donated all her proceeds to the AIDS coalition. Oh, wow. You know, she, so wow. she was, she was ahead of her time. Sadly though, she passed away in 99. She was mm. only 48 years old. She had cancer, but oh, wow. her music lives on. Like you can put on any of those songs I named before you can put on save your love for me. God don't like ugly or outside in the rain. And you're going to be jamming. She had a one of a kind voice that people talk about her pitch being so perfect. And, the reason Sly and Robbie took notice of her, she was singing backup for Peter Tosh. And they asked all of the backup singers to sing solo. They wanted to hear everybody's voice solo. And they said when it got to her, it was a rap for everybody else because she sounded like a bird, literally like a bird. It was like the most beautiful thing they ever heard. <laughs> Pitch perfect. But got to rewind to Gwen Guthrie. One of my favorite people I feel gone too soon and ahead of her time. You know, she yeah. was one of those artists who had this major success with reggae and with R&B. And surprisingly enough, when uh, Ain't Nothing Going On But The Rent was released, it was a hit overseas automatically. It wasn't <laughs> a hit in the U.S. Like, the U.S. wasn't really? feeling it. It wasn't a crossover really? for her. Yeah, and it's like one of those things where, looking back, you know, from now, we think, oh, yeah, that was the jam back then. It wasn't, though. So we got to rewind wow. and give her her flowers. Wow. That's crazy because... Uh, as soon as you mentioned Jamaica, I was like, yeah, I thought she was from Jamaica. I didn't realize that she was actually from, Brick from America, City. from uh, yeah. Brick City at that. So that's wild because it, the thing with like uh, Jamaican music and dancehall, I feel like you almost have to be from there just to understand the culture and to appeal yeah. to them and even to appeal to us who grew up on it because you could tell who's authentic and who's not. But with her, it was in her enough to to adapt to that culture and to, to make it work. So... Salute to her for making that, uh, making that switch going out there and making some classics. Of course, like like I yeah. said, man, like her, like you said, you know, not being from the islands but still having that in her, it, yeah. you know, at least enough to impress Lion Robbie and Peter Tosh. Like that means yeah, you seriously. were pretty, you were pretty serious. So shout out to her. Yeah, rest in peace to uh, Gwen Guthrie for sure. So uh, my my pick is actually from uh you know from New York, right across the bridge, you hey. know, so. I'm going with Pharrell Munch. So Pharrell Munch is a uh, rapper who uh, most mostly everybody I think who was around everybody who was around the '90s knows his name. I feel like some of the younger folks might not be as familiar, but they've at least heard a few of his main songs. So uh, Pharrell Munch, of course, started back and uh, he came from uh, South Jamaica, Queens. So he started back with the uh, duo, you know, Organized Confusion, back in the early '90s. They had maybe three or four albums between '91 and like '97. It was him and Prince Poe. 
they ended up breaking up. And then from there, as a, as a solo artist, because he was highly, uh, you know, sought after as a solo artist, he got with Raucous. And uh, half of the reason I would say that, that, that maybe even think about him is because, of course, everybody's still talking about the Genius Kanye documentary and seeing that Kanye was really in talks with Raucous. And looking back, it's probably some folks who don't even understand how dominant Raucous was. They were like the last strong label that had what you would consider as underground rap, which was underground because of everything else that was mainstream in the late 90s. But early 90s, that was just called hip-hop, you know. But by 98, 99, it was like you calling it underground. It's really just what hip-hop was. It wasn't the flashy. It wasn't the... It was anti-Jiggy. It wasn't Jiggy, but it also wasn't about the drugs. It wasn't about the murder. So it was about the, the ones who were just lyrical, the ones who could just spit. So I remember just always seeing seeing raucous artists on BT Rap City, especially, and seeing those compilations, seeing like Sound Bombing Volume 1 and 2 and... All those songs they had back then. Um, so he was a big part of that movement, being with Raucous. And he was on that album, you know, Sound Bombing 2. And he dropped this solo back in 99 called Internal Affairs. And it's one of those albums that I never even listened to at the time, but I knew it was huge because I always saw the poster. I saw that it had high ratings everywhere in every publication. And you saw the commercials all the time. And the main single, of course, was Simon Says. And Simon Says is one of those monstrous tracks that still gets a reaction. I feel like... It became really a crossover, even though it only hit maybe 97 on Billboard. It's one of those songs that I would say a mixed crowd might go up too harder than than a regular hip hop crowd because it, it had that crossover appeal with that Godzilla sample that wasn't that wasn't um you know um wasn't was what would you say um clear of course it wasn't clear so they got sued for that but that's you know in, in the <laughs> tradition of hip hop that's how it goes samples don't always get cleared but that's the way that song comes in that build up. And get the fuck up. It was just such a classic banger. His verses held it down. And I was intrigued because that was my first time really paying attention to him. Because I heard his name before. I heard a couple verses. But when I heard that, it was like, all right, like, this dude was actually dope. He had, a, he had his own style. He had a very unique, different, unorthodox type of flow. And I would say his second uh, highest shining moment had to be that Oh No. When that Oh No dropped in 2000, that was him, most and Nate. And it was just such a perfect marriage that... At the time, didn't even make all the most sense having Nate Dogg because Nate Dogg was such a West Coast, West Coast yeah. staple. Like that might that might be one of the first times Nate really did something that wasn't you know a West Coast collab. And then the, the next year, he had a million. He had the Fabulous. He had the the Ludacris. He had the Jermaine Dupree. But in '99, I feel like that was uh or 2000. I should say in 2000, that might have been my first time hearing Nate on something that wasn't strictly West Coast. But it was a perfect marriage and. That song is where most deaf you know, let let it off. You know, he he, he had that that perfect alley oop. Like most deaf held it down, but Pharrell stole the show. I remember BT uh, Rap City even saying that that was the verse of the year because I, I remember hearing it the first time and Hallelujah, Pharrell must do you. I'm like, hold up a second. Like he he switched his flow so many times and then the the melody behind it. I felt like he was to me he should have been a superstar just off of that one verse. I feel like, but but from there. I don't really know what exactly happened. I would really have to research to see why didn't he really go to that next stratosphere. It could have been timing because, as, as we said, that supposedly, you know, as we call underground uh, sound, you had most Def, Common, Talib at that, in that era who who did have, have success. And even they weren't as big as the Jays and as the 50s and then everybody who came from the South at the time. So it could have been a timing issue. But I feel when it, when it came to pure talent, Pharrell was at the top of the top. And then he had even... um. The, uh, the track My Life, where he was singing. He was dope at that, too. Like, of course, he sang that little part on um, Oh No, but 
he was great at doing those like, those uh, melodic hooks, and nope. that just got flipped by J. Cole just last year. So it shows that for that to get flipped 20 years later, that was a, a legendary chorus right there. It was him and uh, Styles P. I think that was back in 02, so that's 20 years old now. But uh, he still is. From what I've seen, he hasn't made too much recently. He did drop an album about eight years ago called PTSD, and uh, the songs were okay. It didn't really hit at that level like his older stuff, but... I still feel like he's the type, I'm not sure if he's retired or if he feels like, you know, he he wants to make a return, but I would definitely be all in if he wants to make a return because I feel that he never got that pure superstar uh, look that I thought he deserved. Yeah, no. Um, and he, I, I'm pretty sure he's still touring. Uh, okay. I, I, I have seen like announcements when he's going to be in the area or whatever, but like you talked about internal affairs that yeah. again, I didn't even... Like, of course, I knew, you know, everybody knew Simon Says. Like, I heard the single. Yeah. It's huge. But I don't think I went back and got into him or even listened until the second album. And that was mm. strictly off the strength of. Um, yeah. It wasn't even on the album. It was most deaf song. It was the oh, no. And it yeah. was just I was just impressed that. First of all, I'm a huge most deaf fan. So I was impressed that he keep up with most deaf um, <laughs> lyrically. And yeah. You know, Nate Dogg on anything, especially <laughs> something East Coast, because we had only heard him be so West Coast. And yeah. I know people like to talk trash about Nate Dogg's voice. Man, fuck y'all. I don't That's, know how. I don't know how. Like, he sounds <laughs> like church to me. Like, I think he's so yeah. amazing. And having him on something that wasn't Cali, I love. Yeah. So I definitely got into um, Farrell then. I just think, like you said, maybe it was timing. Because yeah. I think that he possessed everything that everyone else who blew up a couple years after him did. But, you know, his timing was just a bit off. Yeah. And one thing that's crazy that it really took him like eight years for his second album. So even that makes me wonder, was it stuff going on behind scenes or was it just that he like it's one of those things that I never really heard about. I never I know he had a lot of features in that 2000 to 2002 era. Mm -hmm. Then there was just a gap. You just didn't really hear anything about him. It could have been label stuff. I feel like he had a single maybe in 03 with Raucus, but then Raucus kind of collapsed from what I know here. They they didn't really hold on to what they had going. So right. there's probably a lot that happened on that side of things. Behind the scenes, yeah. you know, label stuff. And, and and I don't know what was going on in his personal life. So maybe yeah, it just wasn't a real. good time for him. But my bet is all, yeah. anytime anybody takes that long to release a second album, it's in my mind, it's always like, oh, that's industry politics and label stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel. So either way, salute to Pharrell Munch. And from there, we have to go into our next segment, which is basically the uh, the uh, flip side of that. It's called the Fast Forward segment. We like to highlight artists who are making some waves, who are getting buzz right now, who we feel like have potential to you know, blow up and, and uh, make some noise in the industry. So for this segment, EB, who would you like to highlight? Um, well, oddly enough, you had mentioned uh, Kanye and Raucous, um, but it's a singer who was influenced by Kanye West's College Dropout album. Okay. Uh, somebody who's written for everybody. I'm talking John Legend, Brandy, Demi Lovato, Monica, Common, Keisha Cole, Christina mm. Aguilera. She wrote Beyonce's Die With You and Four or Five Seconds by Rihanna, wow. Kanye, and Paul McCartney. She also wrote a song for Ariana Grande called Break Your Heart Back. Her name is Kirby and is stylized K-I-R-B-Y, yeah. all caps. And I don't really remember where or exactly how I discovered her. I don't even remember the first song I heard by her, but I'm in love with her voice oh. and she's automatically like one of my favorite newcomers. Um, she was born in Memphis, Tennessee, but raised in South Memphis. Haven, Mississippi. So okay. she's got a lock on the Southern influence. 
Like wow. I'm talking a lot. Like she studied music at the Stax Music Academy and then enrolled in Berkeley <laughs> um, after yes. high school. Right. It, it's she's the girl is deep, but she yeah. left Berkeley um, in 2012 to pursue music full time. Um, she started this YouTube challenge where she was going to post herself singing a new original song every day for 275 <laughs> days. What? And and she and she was doing it. And then on day 302, somebody 302? from Rock Nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she she kept going. Somebody from Rock Nation um, actually called her and they wanted to sign her. Like, they were just that impressed that she kept going. And again, these are original oh. songs. So she's writing and performing all of this every day. That brain day. power. Wow. Yeah, like, she, you know, she left Ber- Berkeley with a purpose. She wanted to be a singer and, you know, she's made it. But her first album um, called Sis came out in 2020. And two of the songs from that album were actually featured on the fourth season of Issa Rae's Insecure, which now that I think mm. about it, may be how I first heard her. And I had to, you know, Shazam and be like, who is this? I want to get into her. Um, but I got to read this quote from her. because I thought it was great. I always talk about yeah. artists who have an old soul, but they're innovative enough to be individuals and original today. But she says, I always ask myself, what would Aretha do? What would Otis Redding do today? What sounds would they play with? She says oh. that she thinks that they have a responsibility as artists not to pay tribute, but to build off of the blueprint. And she thinks that when they bring uniqueness of their own and their experiences, that's when they naturally create the future sounds of like R&B. And I was like, yeah, you're exactly oh. right. Too many people are trying to pay tribute or be a copycat instead of you know forge your own path do your own thing she released her second album last year it was called he wasn't the one there's a fire duet on there with bj the chicago kid called lately um but other songs yeah Yeah. other songs to check out by her which i love are velvet we don't funk and uh (laughs) break her heart for me which is hilarious but it is like break oh, her she heart great. for me break her heart for me it's, it's hilarious okay, but okay. she's singing her ass off so gotta <laughs> shout out kirby you know she's my girl from yeah. the south she's like a, a music head and i think she gets it like don't try to be beyonce or whitney or aretha but yeah. what would they do if they were an artist in 2022 like mm. what moves would they make like what would Go, what would be going on in the world around them that they would want to talk about? So shout out to Kirby. That's a dope uh, way to look at it too, because I feel like, as you said, it's so many people who try to be copycats, and it's like, I always wonder that myself. I always wonder like if an artist in this era had that same type of talent, how would they use it? So yeah. it's like, it's it's up to see her uh, using it uh, in that direction. So shout out to Kirby for sure. And my uh, my pick for this uh, this episode, uh, I'm, I'm going to go to Nigeria. I'm going to pick Ira hey. Starr. So Iris Starr, um, she's very young. She's about 19 years old. And uh, just uh, before I even talk about her, when it comes to Afrobeats, I feel like Afrobeats has actually evolved a lot more the last few years than hip-hop and R&B have because it's like a lot of rapping R&B. Like, you're still hearing new sounds coming, but it's not evolving at the same speed because it's been here forever now. But when it comes to Afrobeats and then I'm a piano, I'm starting to hear so many different sounds infused with that. And with uh, her, that's what made me catch uh, her her um, her ear. Her, she caught my ear, I should say, just from how she's used uh, a lot of the production on her songs. So I feel like it's a lot of artists who are coming out from that uh, Afrobeats uh, era and umbrella that they're starting to find different ways to use the sound. So 
I think Tim's is probably going to be one of the first ones to really break out and blow up uh, worldwide for sure. I would say Ira's probably up next. So with her, she hasn't had a global super hit yet, but the track that caught my attention with her is called Bloody Samaritan. And somebody mentioned that to me. Uh, like, yeah, they told me it was big in London and overseas. So I'm always trying to see what's coming up next. And the name, I'm like, Bloody Samaritan. I don't know. I didn't even know it was going to be Afrobeats. I didn't know what it was. And I played it. And as soon as it came in, I'm like, oh, this is just a vibe. It's like, I feel like it's just it's starting to get so much more musical. It's not just the same exact drum pattern every song now. And it's not the same exact instrumentation. Like, it has a lot more uh, progressions, a lot more breaks in it. So... I started to do research on her, and she's been doing her thing for a minute, even though she's only 19 years old. And she actually caught the attention of artists like Kelly Rowland. Like, Kelly wants to actually do a remix of that song with her. And Kelly is vibing to one of her songs called Fashion Killer on YouTube, if you look at that. So she has a lot of songs that are starting to make buzz right now that I've, that I've been seeing um, seeing getting played in the Afrobeats realm. And I think that she should start getting, getting some looks. She has a song called Away. She has a track with an artist I've known of for years called CK. It's called Beggy Beggy. And uh, one thing that, that just shows her personality, she has a freestyle where she's basically just like, I forget what beat it is, but she's just like freestyling where she's just kind of taking bits and pieces of different songs and just kind of like putting them together with that Afrobeats feel. And she has a slight, I mean, I wouldn't say she sounds like Rihanna, but it, it does kind of feel like if Rihanna did Afrobeats sometimes, like it has that kind of vibe to it. But I think she might be up next. Like, I'm putting my money on her right now. All right, well, I'm going to check her out. I know you were talking about, like, the evolution of Afrobeats and how things don't always sound the same, but it just reminds me of, like, hip-hop in the 90s where we started yeah. seeing variety. So I'm going to check these songs out. Um, I'm real interested in this uh, Bloody Samaritan, though. Like, yeah, I want to know right. what's yeah. going on there. Yeah, definitely check that one out. So that's it for our uh, Fast Forward segment. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, intermission, and when we get back, we're going to have the drop, and we have a special guest artist on here for the drop. So... Go ahead and grab your sip of water, and we'll be right back. Once again, this is Behind the Wheels Podcast with DJ Artistic and EB. So for this episode's The Drop, we have a special guest, um, one of the dopest rappers in the game, male or female, I don't care about gender or anything, one of the dopest lyricists to grace the um, you know the hip-hop world. We have Miss Jean Grey in the building. So she's coming straight from New York City. Jean Grey, what's good with you? That's good. Where is she? When is she going to get here? When is she going to get here? I have no idea. I have no idea. Never. But let's see. <laughs> never never how you doing hello um that's always a loaded question to ask nowadays uh i think yeah. the answer is usually like ah. yeah mm -hmm. yeah i'm the doing years. i'm doing how are you doing today i mean i i'll say i'm doing pretty good you know i'm over here happy to have you on here um you know trying to catch some breaks and some breathers it's been a busy couple of days so i'm you know what, just what, what are you doing to, um, a little bit of everything. I mean, basically DJing every day. I have a 10-day streak of DJing where I'm I'm not off until next week, Tuesday. So it's what? just like, Why? yeah. I mean, that's what it is. Pay, I mean, pay those bills? Or you pay it, those bills and you love doing it? Or Hey, that's what it is. It's 
You love doing it. It's not. It's not that hard. And you know, it's oh. one of the things I enjoy doing. So <laughs> these are these yeah. are lies, yeah. lies. You young person. Said lies, lies. Young hey. person. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what it is. So everything is good on my side. So Eb, how are you doing, Eb? Let's ask you. I'm fucking amazing. Like it's always <gasps> great whenever uh, we get special guests, but even more special when it's like family. Like Jean is Hi. really like my sister, mm-hmm. which I. Yeah, she's like my sister, she, you know, and she does stuff, a lot of things. I don't know what to call her because she does like literal, literally does everything. Like she Here's, writes, she raps, she yeah. sings, she DJs, yeah. she acts, like she cooks her ass off and she gives great hugs. And she's also a person that will drink with me all night and <laughs> remind me what I did the night before. So I will. Yeah, I and she that. always does. Always. I need stories. I need stories on that one day. Oh. I need some stories on EB. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, Woo. we do. No. Yep. <laughs> Ooh, you got to have money for that. I, I yeah. I'm a, I'm a loyal friend who She's keeps loyal secrets because I want I want people to keep my secrets too. Like Understood. when we talk to each other, that's where yeah. it stays. Yeah. You know? I get that. So in person, I got some money for you. So we're going we, we to get to the bottom <laughs> of that. We're going to make it happen. We are. We are. So, so yeah. So basically... um. It's so many questions I have for you, but just to get started with it. So I know you are straight from New York. I know you went to LaGuardia High School. I've heard so much about that high school. Like, like who were you? Uh, who who was there with you at that time when you went? Because I feel like there's been so many rappers, actresses, politicians to go there. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, what's what's so interesting about LaGuardia is like not a lot of people who who go in there for their major necessarily end up like doing that exact thing. I think mm-hmm. it was just filled with like a lot of really creative people. I just I posted that I was back at home uh, in New York staying at the Chelsea and someone um, was like, hey, you should go check out this restaurant that's over there now. Uh, this girl we went to school with, like, runs that restaurant. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah th- it, it was that, you know, kind of energy. I think we all, some of us had big dreams going there. Like, I think we all definitely thought we were going to fame. Um, mm. And it was going to be what it sounded you know, like. hot lunch yeah. and choreography. There was a lot of, we would <laughs> like we would create our own choreography in the hallways and be like, that is, none of that is happening. Um, There was a lot of spades. We played a lot of spades and cut a lot of classes. So, (laughs) but there was, there was, you know, a great um, community and learning space. It's where I, uh, I, I figured out that I, that I loved gospel music very much. Mm, Um, Not necessarily being in the church, but Understood. the music that yeah. LaGuardia's gospel chorus is one of the greatest gospel uh, choruses in on earth. And okay, yeah. when I the first um, like time I, I, I saw them, I just teared up the whole time. And I was like, that's why I'm going here. I'm going here because I wow. want to be in gospel chorus. I don't care about wow. the classes. I don't care about anything <laughs> else. I just wow. want to do this. So it was um, yeah. it was a time. But, it, you know, it was also the it was 90 to like 94 in, in New York. So there peak, was. Peak era in New York, <laughs> man, look. Yeah. See, see, so it's so, it's so, it's, I think it's interesting when younger people are always like, that's peak era New York. And I'm like, the interesting thing about New York is that every era 
is peak era New York because 90 to 92 yeah. is one thing. 92 to 94 is one thing. But I'm also from the 70s in New York mm, okay. at the Chelsea. Okay. Like that, that's a whole different. Oh, am I cursing? Can Cuss I? all you want to. Of course. Oh, right like that, that piece of shit in New York <laughs> <laughs> where everything wow. was possible, like nothing was out of bounds for me. I'm like yeah. that. That feels like home. That's understood because it's funny because what you saying that I guess when I think about peak, I think in terms of hip hop sometimes, and even with that, it's where everybody I talk to it depends on when they came up. Because a lot of my, um, I have family in New York. A lot of my older uncles who are in their mid fifties, early sixties, mm-hmm. they'll tell me that eighties hip hop. They'll tell me eighty eight, eighty nine was a peak yeah. of, of New York hip hop. I think for my generation, bo- being born mid eighties. We always see that kind of 90, 92 to 96 era, somewhere in there is being yeah. somewhat of a peak. But then there's some people who feel that the Jay-Z, Nas, Ether era was like peak. Then the younger, I, younger, I, younger folks might say Pop Smoke is like, but I, yeah. but I, But I think it all yeah. peaked at the same time. It was different because there was a, um, I think New York always has a peak. Like after 77, like when the blackouts happened, um, like directly after that, because people were able to get to get a lot of free equipment during oh, really? the blackouts. Yeah. Oh. It led to I didn't know about that. So what happened? Nineteen nineteen seventy seven, July thirteenth. The night um, the light it went was out. A, yeah. Um and so it was a it was a cultural shift. Um and so things changed. So hip hop went through a, a, a phase then. Um, hip hop went through a phase like, uh, that 90 through 94, but it also went through a phase that shifted around 94 because politics, Giuliani came in office Mm. and the things that were so prevalent, like us being able to cipher, to be anywhere to freestyle, just being out on the streets, like cops would ride through on horses if there was like more than two people standing together and be like, you got to get the fuck up out of here. They started rounding us up out of Washington Square Park and being like, you can't congregate anymore. Um, So it's Mm. always really interesting to see like in period pieces, like I don't know if you've seen the movie Kids. Yeah, Yeah. it's crazy. (laughs) It's insane, but but yeah. But like those, we were the kids that were like, can you move out of the shot? (laughs) So we were like watching our lives being filmed and that kind of Washington Square Park change uh, happened as Giuliani came in office and he was like, you know, I'm going to clean up New York. So I I think we don't talk about a lot of the politics around why music changes. Um, You know, I started going to clubs when I was 12 (laughs) in New York. That's normal. Uh, but eighteen and changed. up clubs or twenty one up clubs. There was no. There was no age there, at all back then. It I mean, just... it, it said, but <laughs> <laughs> it said there was. It said, yeah. and you know, as as a person who tends to look younger than my age, when I was twelve, yeah. I was like, I really must have looked like I was a five year old. We all looked like <laughs> five year olds drinking forties, wow. carrying razor blades into the club. But yeah, yeah politics shift. <laughs> That's that's about to hear. So with that, I'm thinking. So you were 12. That must have been. I'm thinking, like late 80s. So that, that must have been like the. Was that New Jack Swing era? No, or, no this or, is or 90s. Was, this is like. Oh, 90s. Um, okay. This is the early 90s. 
Okay. Uh, okay. So like, yeah, it, but like that, that real time where, uh, I think, yeah, we leave out politics and we leave out how technology changes because yeah. once yeah. technology changes, uh, like I went to engineering school, but I was still learning how to make music, like to, to engineer and cut things on, on actual reel to reel tapes. You know? Real tape. Yeah. But like yeah. the year after that is when people were able to start buying stuff to use at home, like ADAT recordings. This is right before Pro Tools. Yeah, yeah. You know, which means that you can record at home. Like we we were, I was making beats for everyone and we were recording on ADATs and then we were going to press up our own music. And like we put out our, our first records in 96. But 96, okay, okay. And that's why like un- underground music became a big thing because of technology shifts. It makes a whole lot of sense because um, you're looking back, I feel like that along with the internet coming a couple years later, as far as it was around in 96, but by the time it was 99, 2000, everything was yeah. online. By and point. then it, and yeah. then you start to get like LimeWire and uh, Kaza Napster. and Napster. <laughs> and yes, yeah. it would take, it would, man, you would sit there. Oh, if it said like 19 hours for a download and you were like, and then you would come back and you'd be like, oh, I'm going to have that album. And then it it had cut off. At 99%, that happened a couple times. That was the most frustrating thing in the world. You waiting for a whole day. I still remember downloading albums because, yeah, I'll I'll do it overnight because we didn't have cable DSL. So I would have to do it through Mm -hmm. dial up. So. After like 9 p.m., my parents said, all right, you can use it. But I hope that within the 12-hour period before the morning, it would finish downloading. Because if not, they would say, nope, you got to unplug because somebody might call. So, Yeah. But yep. it, like I, I think for us in, in New York, especially around that time, it was different because we got to like see everyone live. Mm, like yeah. you can go. You're at the shows. Like you're everyone's there. Back in that area. It sounds like that. Like who? Who can you remember seeing like early, early before they blew up? I'm sure it's probably a lot of them, but like, who stands everyone? out to you? Who, who stands out where you, like, was there every, ever an artist that you saw at one point and said, all right, they might not be ready today, but in five years, they're going to be the No, I mean, I th- we were all doing the same shows. Okay. You know, okay. we were all performing around the, the same places. There were a lot of venues that were sort of these houses for all of this like new emerging talent. And there was like shit like Lyricist Lounge and all yeah. these underground clubs like um, like Wetlands, uh, which was downtown, like right by the Holland Tunnel. Uh, Tramps was a huge place on 21st Street between 6th and 7th, I believe. Okay. Um, okay. There were so many live venues, like the, the Palladium, the Tunnel, uh, uh, Sound Factory, uh, everywhere and so it was very likely that you know a a bunch of underground acts were going to be on that you know so it's like eminem and and um and young z and like outsiders and all of them and everyone from huge crews from brooklyn but like we're you know doing the same shows as like wu-tang and Mm. like it 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 was it was a very interesting like conglomeration <laughs> yeah. of of everyone at the same time i don't i think there were far less boundaries i could see that i could see it being that way that's dope so in that era was it was battle rapping the big thing for you coming up like was it where you had to really earn respect from 
being able to battle because I feel like that era was it was still a big thing even mid late 90s there was a lot of battle rappers and you had to be very sure that that was your thing um I was never a battle rapper everyone I knew was in (laughs) a battle rap scene um and I was just like that's just not particularly i like i like writing i like recording music i like being in the studio but um definitely on occasion if someone i was with uh one of the greatest mcs to come out of new york and a really good friend and um uh there's a we got a street named after him now so that's amazing so shout outs to Pumpkinhead, uh robert diaz um but like someone approached him and said something. We were some open mic and they were like, and that bitch you're with. And he was like, Ooh. that was a mistake <laughs> right there. Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And I was like, yeah. I was like oh, did, yeah. have they called me? And I was like, <laughs> I, I don't battle, but I, but I will destroy you right now. I mean, you got to um, show them what you got. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I know it. I, I think the, the idea of being like, yeah, I, I, everything was huge, but I, loved having being like no i'm i'm more of a writer and i'm definitely more of a freestyler and i'm definitely more of a battle rapper it wasn't just like you know everyone's expected to do everything i get that okay okay i was was wondering about that even with freestyle i feel like that area you had to freestyle and be off the top and there's some some rappers are better at freestyling than actually writing records and you yes that is true that but and then you get like um amazing people like like supernat who was Supernet. just so great. Shout out to Supernet. I think I probably yeah. haven't seen him since 1934. <laughs> um, <laughs> Back when E.B. was born. <laughs> we were both, E.B. and I were both born in 1934. Both. I believe it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like if you know, you would get shunned if, you know, maybe you got invited on like Stretch and Bob and it was time to freestyle, and you were like, "That is a written." Mm. Oh, really? So that we know that's a written. You can tell. I, also, I yeah. I heard you. So I you can tell. You can yeah. tell. You have heard that verse before. You did that verse at the Underground Club last week. So come on, fam. What yeah, I know how it goes. I know how it goes with that. One thing you did mention was the tunnels. So I think mm. just me me being somebody who was too young to really be be there. So so just to give you background. Of course, I'm bored in the mid-80s. My times in New York were 94, 98, and then I didn't go back to 07 when I was finally legal. But I remember buying that album, The Tunnel, with that Big Cap, and you know, um, I think it was Flex and Big Cap who did that back in 99. Mm-hmm. They had the If I Get Locked Up and the Snoop Over Biggie freestyle and the Ill Bomb. I didn't even know what The Tunnel really was at that time. I, I just thought it was like a concept for an album, but then I learned later on that that was like the club to be at in New York at that in that era. I heard it was dangerous as it was legendary. Well, right? well I think I think dangerous and also legendary is just a great way to describe New York. I think <laughs> I get that. What the, I the, get that. You know, I think yeah. the most it also a great description for me. It's, I'll I was it. about to say it's you. Like I am I fully believe that Jean still carries razor blades under her tongue and no one can convince me otherwise. Like I'm oh, wow. pretty sure I've seen a couple. Oui. The, oui. I that's not um a terrible thing to guess. <laughs> I'm not mad at you for that. Um Dangerous and Legendary is what I always feel 
no matter what New York is going through and what, no matter what shifts, like where you're going to hear the best music, to eat the best food, like to hang with the best people. Um, there are, I am um, a stalker of TikTok. Okay. And yeah. mm-hmm. I have an account, but I was like, let me do my research first. I like to do research. So I've been really watching these very young um, transplants, uh, especially uh, young white women from uh, other parts of the country. Montana and Mm -hmm. South Uh, Dakota. Mm -hmm. Who have guarantors to be able to get these apartments. Now, I I do understand that there's been a shift in New York um, because of uh covid and so because things are not open as late as they normally are uh it leaves the streets empty and new york is not used to that we are Mm. a very late night place so there has been at uh, the uh, rise in homelessness um, no one has proper medical care you know america's just shitty Mm. at taking care of its its people um, and, and these girls every day, they're like, New York is so dangerous. It's so dangerous now. Oh, it was, oh, and God. then there are people who would, who will reply to it, yeah. who have maybe been here for five, 10 years and be like, it wasn't like this. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> here's what, what happened. Mm. It was always like this. Uh, Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, when he came in office, changed a lot of things. Um, and there, a lot of good things came out of it, but also a lot of terrible gentrification and pushing people out of neighborhoods and changing the landscape, which changed the music, which changed things to be clean and sterile for people who live in those areas to pretend like that New York doesn't still exist. Wow. And because COVID has sort of brought things back, um, I'd be very interested to see what the next five years of music coming out of New York sounds like, because it got lost for a very long time, sort of riding the waves of Southern music. Hmm. So, so, you, let's see. so you do. That's one. That's one of the most sensitive topics. I feel like me being the hmm. native. It's like some folks. I mean, people respect my opinions for the most part, but because I'm not from New York, a lot of times it can still get kind of like you know. It, I get it. I get that people can be defensive. So a lot of folks always pinpoint like memes. Like this is why I'm hot back in 07 as being one of the first songs to come from New York that had a more Southern sound and became big. Cause like, I, I, I'll say this too. I'm always defending New York because a lot of folks have short memories. So people act like, like mm-hmm. a lot of folks are saying that since 01 and 02, Atlanta has ran the whole game. And I'm like, I'm going to say 04, 05. I think 03, it was even. I feel like 03 was the last time that, New York and the East just had a strong presence because at that point you had Dipset, you had Joe Buggin from Jersey, you had 50 G Unit Banks, you had Jay Z still dropping the uh, Black album, mm-hmm. you had um, you know um, D Block. I feel like New York had a strong presence in '03. Is this that at that time is where you it did kind of hand the keys over to Atlanta when they dropped the Never Scared and Get Low and Young Bloods Damn. So that mm-hmm. is when it started to change for sure. But I feel like. The East Coast still had a strong presence, and even 04 was leaning back. That's one of the biggest songs from from that yeah. year. But but how, how do you see it? Like how do you see it? Do you feel like like I, I, what what where do you think it got lost? Was it that 
New York, the, the young kids might grown up here in the South music and they started making what they grew up on. Cause that's kind of what happened with LA to me is that a lot of LA artists grew up on the South in the 2000s. So that's what they made was dancing music. Cause they grew up on the Bay. So like LA and LA and the Bay are different. So a lot mm-hmm. of LA kids grew up on Bay music. So they kind of made stuff that sounded like that. So for New York, do you feel like there was a period where, like how did that ship happen in your eyes at least? Um, I, you know, I think everything changes with money. I think mm. the the yeah. deal is that record labels, like independent labels were doing really wonderfully. And there was no rise of um, being, like for those of us who were doing it like super independently, like we were, we had our own label and we were rivaling Raucous and we right. were just like one, one just tiny room just putting <laughs> out music, but there was like 16 of us. Um, mm. And they had, you know, Rupert Murdoch money. Um, so the switch up happens when labels started to see that be like, you can make money this way. You know, like this is selling. Um, mm. There's a draw here. Um, and, you know, before that time, it was definitely like, I'd say that there was a difference in the underground clubs. Like, Okay. When when Outcast dropped, um, we were very into it, I very that. into it, reluctantly yeah. at first, <laughs> and okay, then we yeah, were like, yeah. we were like, but it's dope. You can't deny but it. it's dope. <laughs> yeah, you can't deny it. But yeah. it's but it's really yeah. good. Oh yeah. shit! But you know there was a yeah. lot of when certain songs come in the cl- like this is stri- I know because I was on the dance floor and I did it like just. Yeah. You completely stop. You cross your arms, and you're like, "Nope." And now the DJ is like, "All right, well, I'm gonna stop playing this southern oh, wow. song." Oh wow! Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it was also just like a, a way of survival. Like, if you are seeing that um, one survival money demand, uh, which is just business. Um, but then also you're like, hey, this is this is cool. I I can do it. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I yeah, I I think we we write off a lot of the ways that labels were not trying to sign people who wouldn't be able to sell, and it right. Mm-hmm. It's all about money. I'll tell it you. sounded like money. Yeah, it's all about money. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense to me. I feel like it's all about what appeals. The labels don't care what's good, what's bad. They don't care who likes what. Um, it, Except for what and they're like, and then it turned about. into like it started, and yeah. then it turned into, can you make something that sounds like this? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, you know, yeah. and that's that's kind of where we're we've been for a very long time. But I mean, yeah. it's in popular music. I just think that's the deal. Someone does something different. You can go back and listen to vaudeville songs, <laughs> and someone came out with yeah. like, "Yeah, can you can you save me a penny?" <laughs> Everybody's got a penny, <laughs> and someone heard that like, yeah. and the and thirty songs that followed were yeah. like, "I got a girl who showed me your ankles. She showed me your ankles." <laughs> <laughs> That's a brilliant way to say that, it. But it's, I mean, but it's I, real. I could think of modern artists like yeah. right now on the charts who sound exactly like that. So. <laughs> Uh, this is true please, uh, please who please who? I'm the, you know also, I'm not gonna name I'm, I, while I'm there while I'm here there. while I'm here I'm not calling him EB Eric listen she called yeah yeah she Eric, calls me Eric we, wait we yeah. call each other by our first names 
Um, but I will refer to her as the genius a lot. But okay. she does call me Eric. Swear. Yeah, but we we are on a first name uh, weird like thing where we don't refer to each other it. as like professional names. Yeah. As real friends, I love it. But I love it. it but that I, way. I yeah. like like I know as as I, like I'm a listener of of music all, all over eras everywhere, and I think that's true everywhere. And I think like. Also, Eric and I bond over that kind of we know we know the song and then you know where that sample comes from and then you know the other ten songs that tried to do that. Tried wow. to do that. They Even tried. from your from your yeah. favorite artists and you're like, Oh no. Yeah. Oh girl, no. Why did that? you you didn't have to Why make did you one try? of those? Yeah. You didn't yeah, we need that from you. We yeah. didn't nobody so, asked. Yeah. Nobody wanted that. Um <laughs> and so I you know, I, I think a lot of times uh people try to relegate that to like all these rap songs sound the same and i'm like all these all songs sound the same, sound the same. because that's what, oh it's really that's when that's when there's a music. when listen as Every someone who's now in the in the tv business when mm. there's a show that's hitting mm. even when no one wanted to pick up that show everyone wants yep. to make they're like what do you have that's exactly like copycat this? Oh, what do sure. you have when a clothing trend comes out fashion wise they're like what this i don't listen there may be some people who understand what i'm saying I this totally Mew Mew, that. Yeah. the whole new season of Mew Mew, they came out with this goddamn mini skirt and everyone if they have good god if i see this fucking skirt <laughs> one more goddamn time and the the thing that has changed from the 90s to now um, which is why I think probably people look at it as the last like golden era is with social media and with people being able to contact each other so much and post so many things because there's so much content. Our trends moved slower. Mm-hmm. And right now we have micro trends. Mm-hmm. So shit is yeah. hot for so little amount of time and get so oversaturated, which is how you come up with memes and gifs. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there's there's that thing again, that example again. Someone makes a joke and everyone makes the same joke. That's a yeah. meme or a gif <laughs> or a trend. Yeah. Um, it just never stops. So we have lost a lot of the moments of being able to like really savor an era. Yeah, mm. I get that part. I, I want to. Like, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was. Just, I want to ask you because we talk about music a lot, and you touched on it. Like all genres, um, mm-hmm. we never really talk about hip hop. I don't think we've ever like you've told me stories of like touring and stuff, but I don't think we've ever had a conversation. And your parents were like these amazing jazz musicians, mm-hmm. and I'm oh, sure that okay. played so much into who you are as an artist and not just you, but, you know, looking back at like the children of the seventies, you know, the parents were listening to soul and jazz and gospel and rock and country. Like it was like everything. Do you see that happening today? Like when you hear new artists, can you hear the influence of other genres on them? Or is it like just the, some bullshit? Like what, what, what is, what are, what are they doing? (laughs) I, I I like that the question just ended up at what are they doing? What are they doing? <laughs> what, are they doing? <laughs> what is it? What? Set them up. 
It was yeah. very Nigerian. Uh, it was very, what is this? What, what, what is this? <laughs> what is this? What are they doing? Um, I think the, the interesting thing is that even when you don't know it's an influence, like there's so many, especially like let, let's, let's go to like TikTok sounds and like these kids don't know where the sounds are coming from necessarily. I'm not saying yeah. all of them, mm-hmm. but it's a yeah. sample of a sample of a sample. A sample. <laughs> and it's still, but it's, it doesn't make the song not good. Mm-hmm. It's still good. It's that that music has managed to outlast it. And I think the idea of this influence being able to stick around for so long is like the magic of quality music. Um, I definitely agree with that. I, sure. I wish sure. that because we're in like an era where you have access to history at your fingertips, mm-hmm. like every moment, it would be nice to see people using that to be like, where did this come from? Like, maybe yeah. you didn't know. Yeah. Maybe your parents didn't tell you. Um, maybe you have no idea where it is. But I would like, I think, the ge- I, I think it's so cool for, like, for Gen Z to have all that information at their fingertips, you know? Yeah. Where they could just I, look I something think, up or, you know, Shazam amazing. a song to see yeah. the original, the influence. Like, we had to, like, dig for it. And it's we like, had we, li- literally, literally. Literally. There's no, yeah. I used I had a portable record player and I would I would take it around with me to thrift stores or to like Amoeba or to like all these places or even overseas like going digging in like Berlin. You take huh. your record player with you so you can check for all the samples mm-hmm. and you know you, oh, you wow, drop it wow. you drop it in different spots mm-hmm. so you can find your shit and you have your stores that are like you know they call you you make friends and you're like let me let me come back what do you got in keep it for me. Um the idea that like making this music that way um, is such an influence that I wish we would be able to share more with this generation because it's such an important conversation. How much work we did. Yeah. The work. It's crazy because yeah, because I always think about that because it was where even like, so before uh, you came on, I was talking to EB about how I heard a song that Snoop and Warren and Nate made that sampled the emotions. I didn't know the emotion song until this weekend and it's from the 70s, but it's like, because when, when that song came out, there was no whosample.com. There was, we had Google, but there was no database that showed where everything came from. So and, I feel and like. And yeah, yeah. I, I think also when like things like whosample.com started, we were like, yeah. shut up. Yeah. I was like, shut was up. Yeah. Also, also yeah. we're putting records out. Please shut up. So Stop telling, we don't so, get sued. Yeah. Gatekeep. There yeah, are a lot of folks. Yeah. 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 Holy shit. That. Yeah. Shut yeah. the fuck up. I would, I would. Yeah. And yeah. and that's when we started getting like called on our samples. And I'm like, listen, it's not like we're making a whole bunch yeah. of money on this and we don't want to pay these artists. Absolutely not. Like, you know, the the way it was much harder for my my parents to find music, they had to find the actual people. Like luckily that Duke Ellington found them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like yes, finding yeah. and then knowing that and then like traveling around the world i'm like okay i get it so and they were like oh it's so much easier for you to be able to find music Mm -hmm. Uh, like do you know how much we had to do 
Right. Um, and we're there so, now. Yeah. You're and I think it, it, it transfers, but you have to have some sort of um, reverence for the work before you, I guess. Oh, no, this that's is making me sound like bitter that's old person. No, I'm not. I love you, Gen Z. I just want, I just truly want you. I think you have so much information, and it's so cool that you have so much information. Like, yeah. you could be doing so much. Yeah, you could make, me, it's a, they, yeah. they could make the best music ever. Yeah, that's why I, I mean, it's true. Doing. I mean, to me, it's, it's a separation. I feel like it's definitely, uh, it's a huge gap, I would say, with, with Gen Z. The ones who are super into music, who really are fans, they have all the tools in the world so that they can become amazing at it. The ones who don't care as much or more or more surface, it's frustrating seeing how they are compared to the, the way that we would have been if we had that same access. So I, I don't know. I, that, I so. think like there's, I think there's always the chance, like there are people who know nothing about music and know nothing about music history and maybe they've just got it in them and maybe they just make oh. some great shit. Like I'm open to that too. Maybe yeah. that, keeps you to being like hey let's move shit forward you're gonna make Maybe some shit fresh. i've never that's heard that's true too and that's then everyone too. will make yeah. that music for the next 20 years and then we're back yeah. where we started. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a cycle all a cycle you so. never know yeah you don't so hey gene i definitely appreciate you uh, uh we appreciate you for your time uh while we're here let everybody know where to find you at, where to follow you at, and oh, what God. do you have going on like oh never follow <laughs> me don't find me don't leave follow, me alone don't do it. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. If you see me in the street, keep it moving. Keep She's it being honest, honest too. Right, <laughs> <laughs> hey, so right now, she's not joking. Right now, um, I my my Twitter is deactivated because I realize I don't have a filter, and I think sometimes mm. Twitter can be a very distracting place. So while I'm working on too yeah. many things and I'm not promoting anything, it's deactivated. You can always find me at my Instagram on at uh, Jeannie Grigio. It's Jeannie with two N's, and then Grigio like the wine. Figure it out. Okay, okay, um, I like that. But I'm, I'm working on my first book called In My Remaining Years, which will be out in 2024. Okay. Um, I also have a project okay. called That's Not How You Do That. It's an adult instructional show. So <laughs> think like uh, Sesame Street, but for adults with puppets. Similar to your album then, huh? Yes. It's similar to that concept. Yes, yeah. it is. Okay, okay. Um, so like, you know, uh, some adult issues. Like uh, there's a whole episode called Just Say No, because we all have to learn how to draw boundaries. And if you don't yeah. want to go to a thing, you can just say no. You don't have to give an explanation. That's the explanation. Sure. Absolutely not. If you don't want to do something and it doesn't have the money you want, you could be like, nope, thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks. Um, yeah. And I think uh, these are just all the my big projects. And then I'm composing and scoring um, an animated Warner Brothers film, which will be out oh, in wow. December. Okay. That is, okay. it sounds like a fever dream, but it's not. It's uh, a Steve Urkel <laughs> <laughs> holiday animation jaleel white is actually in it oh jaleel um, oh, that's the home uh okay. and it's called did i do that to the holidays um okay it's super i'm gonna rock with that i'm gonna rock with that because it's really great jaleel i can't is tell good you folks, the whole so, cast yeah. jaleel okay. is amazing um he's yeah. really great to work with uh i love like vocally coaching people i mean doing music direction and and scoring and composing so that's been super fun and once again, Jim, we appreciate you for uh, being on here with us. So, EB, um, it's about that time for everybody who's listening. 
And we conclude each and every episode with the beat match. So uh, we have a beat match for you today that's kind of comparing two of the uh, biggest artists to come from Atlanta, Georgia back in the 2000s. And all the way up to now, they're still around making music as well. So uh, EB, if you had to decide between T.I. and Jeezy, who wins if we do a versus <laughs> matchup or a battle or something with them? Who, who are you riding with? All right, so all right, all right. So look, as a native South Carolinian, I now have yep. to take off my New York hat and put on my South Carolina hat. So I gotta go with the hometown hero, Jeezy. I think that he he coming on top anyway. Like Jeezy's it. Hometown. He is. Is he from? Is he from? He's Carolina? born in Columbia, South Carolina, about wow. twenty minutes from my mama house. So oh wow. You know we 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 claim him in Columbia. He moved to Georgia when he was a little like a toddler or something, but we still claim him in yeah. Columbia. So many artists came from Carolina. It's crazy, but they all from South Carolina, but they always move somewhere else and they that place well, gets credit. So that's yeah. what we do. Yeah, I move somewhere else and I give <laughs> DC and Brooklyn all the credit. Like we don't I mean, yeah, yeah, that's how y'all are. So <laughs> all right, so you rolling with Jeezy. I mean, it's one of those tough ones being a DJ, but I, I honestly think it's TI and I'm not gonna say it's a blowout, but I feel like TI overall I gotta roll with TI on this one. So okay. as my uh co host uh, I'll let you go first. So everybody who's listening, we each get three minutes to kind of explain our case. Then we get two rebuttals and then we hand it to our producers, Melissa and the lady. And they'll let us know who they feel came out on top with the arguments. So EB, go ahead and let them know. Uh, let them know why Mr. Uh, Young Jeezy, um, a.k.a. Mr. Jeannie Mae is uh, the, you know. Oh, man. See, <laughs> there okay, we go. I thought, there we go. I thought we was going to stay away from the personal lives, but OK. All right. All um, right. I just got to be real. I think T.I. calls himself the king of the South, um, but I don't think it's a title that he actually earned. I think that when you talk about it, you can't really talk about a king of the South because the South has so many different regions, as we talked about before. But if anyone from the Georgia, the Atlanta area had to be named the king of the South, it's definitely Jeezy for me. Um, In my opinion, his music is so much more original and authentic. Like he doesn't seem to be the artist that is chasing commercial trends or um, trying to follow the crowd or make a song that sounds like someone else made it. He's like remains true to himself and he always has. And I think that's aided his career. He is the definition of a certified hustler. Like even when he released his first and second albums independently on his own able on his own label, there was so much hype around this kid, so much so that like there was a bidding war between Def Jam, Warner, and Interscope because they heard the talent, they heard the potential that he had. Um, he signed with Bad Boy as part of Boys in the Hood, and that that album peaked at number five on the Hot 100. So he works well solo and in a group, and I don't think Ti has that. Even once he was officially signed to Def Jam, um, his debut album for the major label is still one of my favorite albums from a Southern rapper. It debuted at number two, and that album went double platinum. Um, You got songs like And Then What with Manny Fresh and then uh, Soul Survivor with Akon. I think Jeezy personifies what T.I. pretends to be sometimes. Like Jeezy is hood. Jeezy is intelligent without using 
um, <laughs> these made up vocabulary words that he learned from Wordle. They or real word. They real word. I mean, whatever. <laughs> they you real. know, you know, you know, Jeezy is the real <laughs> deal, and I think Ti aspires to be that. I'm not saying Ti isn't talented or Ti doesn't have the skill that Jeezy has, but Jeezy's hungry for it, and you can tell in their approach to music. I think where Ti followed the commercial route, Jeezy just wanted to be Jeezy. And that's why he's he comes out on top in a beat match for me. Like you can't compare the two because they're both talented, but TI is who everyone else wants him to be whenever it's convenient for him to be that. And Jeezy's just always gonna give you Jeezy. I mean, so I hear it. I hear it. I feel like different ways to look at it. So when it comes to this authenticity. I would say Jeezy, and then if you want to really take it there, a lot of folks will say Gucci over him, if you want to take it to that level. But even aside from that, the thing with T.I. is this, when it comes to musically, to his output, to his diversity, I feel like he has all bases covered. So with him, he got his start really four years before we even heard of Jeezy, at least three years, I would say. So he dropped that first project he had, That I'm Serious, and... I remember hearing hype about that back in 01, just because people said that Jay-Z had co-signed him. And he had his first single coming out was a Neptune song. So it's like that first album, he was kind of finding his his uh, lane. And I feel like because the labels realized that he had a commercial appeal, they're trying to kind of force the usual, okay, it's 2001, we got to put you on a Neptune song, of course. So we got to get Beanie Man on it. So I get that. But at the same time, you heard those flashes of what he really was. And he really, the thing with him is that he made, her music, basically at the level of Jeezy. I, I'm going to say that when it comes to the club, nobody ever owned the club the way Jeezy did in that one year in 05 when TM101 came out. But people forget that because T.I., most of his hood music was before that era. And he was making it when the South was still on the rise. And he's one of the reasons that the South got to where it was. So by the time that Jeezy and Gucci came out, the door was wide open. 0102, Atlanta was like, yeah, they had Outkast, they had... Pastor Troy was still kind of trying to break through. He hadn't really broken through commercially yet. Lil John had Bia Bia. He wasn't really there yet. Ying and Twins were making the, 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 the twerk music, but they weren't really making that 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 trap hood lane music. T.I. was one of the ones who really pushed the door open for, for Gucci and, and uh, Jeezy and then everybody else to come with that type of sound. So I feel like once, once that trap music came, I mean, people say trap every day, 10 times a day because of what, uh, you know, tr- the trap sound and hip hop. Uh, the first person to really to coin it really was T.I. with that album, Trap Music. And whether or not the actual sound of trap, the, what we call a trap beat, came from him or Jeezy or 3-6 Mafia, it's all arguable. I'll say sonically, I don't think the actual trap sound came from T.I. because it's more so that the 808s all over the place with the hi-hats. Uh, trap Music, as far as production-wise, still had more of a almost an outcast, organized um, noise influence. It still had that soulful down south sound but it had that hood to it so he had that 24s he had that rubber band man where he's letting you know what he's about but he also knew how to make those kind of crossover commercial songs that weren't all the way commercial yet he had a let's get away which was still more of a a real soulful jazzy face type production i feel like by the time you get to 04 you got that um urban legend that's when you really start to realize all right ti knows what he's doing he knows where he's going at this point and i feel like from there he just kept on staying more and more consistent and he got better and better with each and every album that's the main thing with me i feel like when you look at jeezy i'm gonna throw it back to you all right no i i get it um his first album like his first album performed so poorly that he was dropped from arista after the album 
And then you started seeing him uh, switch up his style a little bit, you know, to to make it to where he is now. I'm not saying it was a bad album per se, but it didn't come off as him. And I think that was the difference. Like, yes, he made the music, you know, like that was at the level of a Jeezy or somebody who'd walked in those shoes as a hood, you know, type personality, the trap era. But that's not the life that he really was living at the time. So it really didn't appeal to a lot of Southern audiences the way that it appealed to audiences in other places in the country. Like, I feel like in the South, we were not on T.I. until his second album. Whereas with Jeezy, we were with him throughout his first and second albums that were on his own label that he started independently. And then we were with him with Boys in the Hood with um, Bad Boy. And once his major label came, or his major label deal with Def Jam came, we were still with him. I think Jeezy is one of those people who, I'm going to compare him to someone like a Jay-Z, whereas you always going to get Jeezy, no matter what. He could have on a suit. He could have on some shorts. He could have on a do-rag. He could have on a, like, whatever. But you always going to get Jeezy. With T.I., sometimes his, uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this, um, (laughs) his personal politics get in the way of who he really is. And I think that kind of, you know, throws us off from him. Not that he's a bad artist, but he's one of those people that no matter who makes a song, you can throw T.I. on it. Well, you could back when he was hot. You could throw T.I. on the song. Yeah. And I feel like with that, um, it's back to me. The fact that you could throw T.I. on anything. I think T.I. was a much more diverse artist. I feel like T.I. had hits in each and every lane. I mean, he was on everything from Blurred Lines to Destiny's Child Soldier to, you know, to then having the single with Rihanna, the, the Live Your Life. I feel like whatever you threw him on or whatever you gave him, he was able to make a hit out of it. Uh, and I think that the thing with him is that he started before Jeezy, even if he didn't have the initial peak. It's kind of an opposite trajectory because, as you said, like the South was riding with Jeezy. Everybody loves Jeezy 05. He dropped that TM101 and the mixtapes before that and, you know, Trap or Die, all else. And it's like he peaked when he came out in a sense. I feel like he never really lived up to that. And we always, every couple of years or every year, he would have a song or two that you did rock with. But it was more so because you love what you did then. Like if you hear a Jeezy set in the club now, it's probably an 05 set. You might hear a super freak in there. You might hear a couple of those songs. But one thing that we might kind of forget is that a lot of folks felt that Rick Ross kind of came in his lane and took his shine in 2010. Because when when that BMF came out, ironically called BMF, which was kind of, you felt, felt like it was a shot at Jeezy in a sense. It was like, he kind of took that lane of making them trap bangers. When he dropped the, the um, you know, the nine piece and all those, Rick Ross just took that whole lane from Jeezy, I feel like. And, we were surprised when Jeezy finally did kind of get it back when he had the Super Freak and a couple other songs and the Leave Me Alone, but even Leave Me Alone was something that T.I. could have did and made almost better, I feel like. So I feel T.I. came out before Jeezy, but he lasted even longer because um, T.I. was still making hits even within the, the 2010s. He had that About the Money with Young Thug, who was brand, brand new. He was able to make a hit with him on About the Money. If it ain't About the Money, you know, he had the ball with Lil Wayne. You know, I feel like... T.I. has always been such a diverse artist that whatever type of song he makes, 
it's always going to go off. And the thing about his trajectory is that he had, I would say, uh, after his first album, he had a, a five piece that was just hitting hard. T.I. versus T.I.P. was probably the weakest one in there, but Paper Trail came and, hey, he was, right. that was his biggest album. So, I respect T.I. as an artist. I do. I want him to come off like I don't as a person. He got some issues, but as an artist, I do respect him. But Jeezy's had 10 studio albums, two independent albums, 18 mixtapes, 70 singles, 38 of those he was just a featured artist on. It wasn't even his. And 28 music videos. And you talked about the 2010s, how T.I. was doing his thing. 2010, Jeezy had Lose My Mind with Plies. Then in 11, Ballin' with Lil Wayne and Fame with T.I., 2012, he had I Do with Jay-Z and Andre 3000. And if that is not one of the biggest rap songs from the early 2010s, then I don't know what else would be considered a big rap song. Like that song still, you put that on today and people going crazy, not just hardcore hip hop fans, but a lot of ladies who are not fans of hip hop, you put on I Do and they they think they the one. So they going up for it. I mean, I... I mean, even though I do was nothing but international players at the part two, that's the reason they had the appeal. You know that, but nah, but T.I. has so many songs. I mean, if you want to just look at a versus type thing, I've already mentioned so many. I mean, about the money. He had the, he was on Timberlake, My Love. He was on the Blurred Lines. Him and Dro had We in the City. He was on Bone Crusher, Never Scared. What you know about that? He put out uh, Young Joe, so he had Shoulder Lean. He had Ain't I, a remix for Young L.A. He had Whatever You Like, which was a huge song in 08. Then followed by Live Your Life, which was a huge number one song that I don't think so many artists could reach that type of height. On the hood side, he had the You Don't Know Me, the, the ASAP, the big things popping, you know. He had the Fancy with Drake, you know, that was one of the biggest songs. Ladies still love that one, but in 2010, he had that. 2008, he had the Swagger Like Us, of course, you remember that. He had Swing Your Rag. On his first album, he gave us Do It. He gave us Hotel and those Ivy type songs. He had tracks with Pharrell, like Amazing and Why You Want to Go and Do That. He had the California remix with the, you know, the Young Dolph, Rest in Peace. I mean, he had so many songs. Anderson Pack, come down. I can keep sir, going. But sir, I mean, sir, the bell, look, the bell has rang, rung, ringing. And, and so I could keep going. T.I. got them hits. I'm telling you, you can't, can't sleep. So, you know, all right. That's right. Going. Ring look, that bell. Look, look, look. All right, all right. I'm in my seat. I know the bell rang. I'm supposed to be in my seat. All right. Don't give me detention, principal. Anyway. Let's bring our producers on, Melissa and the lady. So we're going to let them judge who you think is the winner of this one. Somebody's fan like is on, we, maybe. But yeah. We're about to get. The lady is about <laughs> to cuss us out. Um, yeah. I she can was, feel it. I see She it. was a spell yes. when both of them were popping. Tis. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I know it. Geez. So. All right. Uh, yeah. This one is it's hard. This is the verses I, I wanted, though. Concert okay. Experience. Yes. I, well, Concert I've seen them experience. both a lot, but I will say, Ti, I saw yeah. him at Morehouse, like performing for free in front of King's Chapel, and we didn't know who he was. Oh, wow. But he did already have that first <laughs> album, I think. But we didn't know who he was. Uh, and then, like a yeah. year later, he was a part of like yeah. the homecoming concert. We're like, oh, that was a dude. So I definitely remember being there at the beginning of that, and uh, he was also a part of my one of my favorite concert experiences. Um, where he was on the Scream tour in like 06, 07. And, they, and it was, I thought it was for kids because it used to be. And we had some free tickets. We were in New York, Madison Square Garden, and uh, T.I. and Young Jock, Sierra, 
and T-Pain, I think. But they brought out 50 Cent, Jay-Z, Kanye, Swiss Beats. And we were just like, oh, this is like from a surprise standpoint and 0607. Whew. So I'm like, T.I. has a special place in my heart. Jeezy too, though, because Snowman was everywhere when I was in college. Um, so yeah, this was this was a challenge for me, and I am even though I wanted to lean one way over the other, I'm actually really going to leave it as neutral on both. I think both of your arguments were arguments were strong. I think Ti for a while uh, could do no wrong, and uh, then Jeezy came out, and I was like, oh, he can do no wrong. And then Rick Ross came out and was like, hold on. So I think they both kind of fell back in different times. <laughs> yeah. And, and I have seen Jeezy in concert a few times after hmm. as well. So I just, I had to stay neutral. I felt like y'all had really strong arguments. All right. All okay. right, Ty. I, I roll with that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, I have, Jeezy came to my college as well. Um, but, and I haven't seen T.I. But, uh, um, Jesus. Uh yeah, they I was I was leaning one way strongly until the closing arguments and I switched and I'm sorry. <laughs> I strongly dislike this person, so it makes on a personal mm. level, so it makes this hard. So I think I'm gonna have to go mm-hmm. with T I. Mm. Yeah, mm. I get it. Yeah. No, that that last argument was strong. I ain't gonna it lie. Was. I was like, right. I, I wanted to be like, stop naming hits. Like, hit songs. I'm we were right. staying within a 10 year range. I feel like his albums are crazy. But I feel like Jesus yeah. had amazing yeah, features. So many, yeah. And so. His albums, yeah. 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 So, all right. So, I mean, for everybody who's listening, you know what to do. Let us know. Hashtag behind the wheels pod. Let us know. Who you feel would come out on top in that versus, you know, and along with that, please go ahead and rate and review us on Apple and Spotify podcast. You can rate and review us. It helps uh, other listeners find our show. Also, if you have any suggestions for anything for the drop, for a beat match, for anything you would like us to uh, cover, go ahead and send us an email at behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. And we would like to thank you all for listening and being tuned in. A lot of you all have been giving feedback. Some of y'all text me. It's the funniest thing when y'all text me as you're listening, like laughing about something or commenting about something that, that happens. So, you know, so we appreciate that love and support. So catch me. I'm DJ R-T-I-S-T-I-C on Instagram and Twitter and Black Planet. All right. I, I raised my Black <laughs> Planet. I'm not on there no more. I'm finally gone. Couldn't do it no more. EB, where can they find you at? Uh, you can find me everywhere at EB for Prez. That's EB, the number four, and then Prez is P-R-E-Z. And even on Black Planet, actually. So I'm still there Black Planet? with Solange. Me and Solange holding it down. Everybody Solange else doing their, their own thing. So whatever. They got an app or something? They got they got an actual Black Planet app? That's crazy. I mean, I wouldn't call it an app so much as, you know, <laughs> you just got to type it in from Safari on your phone. But, you know. <laughs> you got to type it in. You know, that's, that's- it looked like an app. <laughs> That flash be crashing. If you have loaded, it just says Black P. Yeah, that, they got to yep. do something about that flash. Listen, if anybody who works for Black Planet is listening, I really want to talk about that. Like, we got to move into, like, the new decade. Like, you got to let that yeah. flash go. Yeah. yeah, you got to. You got to keep it moving, though. We got to. So, now we appreciate y'all for being tuned in. Yes. This is Behind the Wheels. Artistic out. EB out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Montz and The Lady Set. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.